This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, uh, podcast number, I have to look it up, podcast number 64. Uh, and with me in uh, Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hi, good morning. Uh, in New York, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Uh, in India, uh, Varun Mather. Hi, Varun. Hi, John. And uh, in Sweden, Johan Edebo. Hey, hey everyone. Hi. Um, so uh, I just will make a couple of brief comments, and, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff to, to discuss. Um, uh, Biden announced the other day, day before yesterday, I think, uh, that he was pledging another $33 billion to Ukraine um, on top of what has already been sent. And, and the U.S. has been sending money for since 2014, but it's really, it's really escalated. Uh, and they've been sending weapons and training. And uh, there's not much question that, that there are U.S., uh, U.S. military is on the ground in Ukraine. I mean, two were captured somewhere in, in fighting. Uh, so, so it's a it's a uh, it's a a perilous situation. I mean, it really is. And and uh, you know, my question is uh, uh, the who is exactly in charge of U.S. foreign policy? Who who who? Who is this insane? I mean, and this isn't even what worries me. I expect American foreign policy, the neocons, the, the people at think tanks like RAND and, and American Enterprise Institute, whatever it is, the Cato Institute, these, I expect them to be hawks and, and to be crazy and, and want to instigate some kind of nuclear conflagration because I think they're insane. Um, what is troubling has been the comments coming from um, the leaders in the EU uh, and people like Jens Stoltenberg, uh, who, who sound like they can't wait for this war to escalate. Uh, and, and I forget who it was who, who made a comment the other day that, that it's perfectly legitimate uh, for Ukrainians to... to uh, attack sites, targets within Russia, and it's not a problem if they're using U.S. and British weapons and so I mean, all of the rhetoric is pro-war. It's, it's this desire for war. And you don't hear from any of these people, none of them, none of the leadership in the EU, NATO, the U.S., that they want to avoid World War III or a nuclear war. I mean, quite the contrary. In fact, the guy Rasmussen of Denmark, the former defense minister, I think he was, uh, was saying that, you know, uh, NATO could beat Russia to a pulp. Uh, that was that a, a pulp fish. I forget in Danish. I think there's a term. But anyway, I mean, this is to me breathtaking. And the second thing I want to mention, and I'll turn it over to all of you, is that um, the atmosphere has gotten really ugly and martial, and 
they're on the heels of COVID, and we should talk about Mark Crispin Miller's article um, on COVID. But uh, like COVID, there is this um, absolute intolerance, and now the U.S. has launched its its Ministry of Truth, whatever it's called, and and it you. If somebody had suggested this climate to me 10 years ago, I'd have said this is actually kind of impossible, that there won't be that many people that intolerant. Uh, and yet here we are, um, because I have I'm attacked on social media and and here in Norway from the people who I don't come in contact with many people. I lead a very isolated life, actually. But when I do, there's enormous hostility. And my family feels it. Uh, it's it's um, it's very strange that that there's no discussion. People don't want to discuss things, or look at the facts, or have any engagement with anything that runs contrary to to the consensus, to the master narrative, as it were. And it's 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 just gotten much worse over the last few weeks, I think, because the the Ukraine propaganda is is astounding. You know, um, I saw a, a, some sort of clip the other day, I think it was on CNN with American advisors training military people training uh, Ukrainian soldiers and the Ukrainian soldier in the clip had a swastika tattooed on his neck. <laughs> I thought, just like that just passes without comment that's okay i mean when did that become okay but now it is kind of okay so so we're seeing a populace in the west that has been conditioned for 30 years um to the point where they are they are eager they can't wait to be given permission to be like full-on fascists that's that's what i see okay I leave it to, I turn it over to you guys here. Hmm? Yeah, remember I spoke about dead air once on- Okay, um, I'll say something. Okay, yes, so I was you. just reading an article and um, it's um, in Canadian media. Anyway, I just wanted to throw in on top of the 33 billion that you were just talking about Biden hmm. to Ukraine. It mentions here the G7 finance ministers meeting wrapped in Friday. This is, I believe, from April 24th, this article, and that the group acknowledged that 84 billion US has already been spent in Ukraine since 2014. 84 billion. Wow. Yeah, and, and the homeless um, situation, as you know, skyrocketing. Um, you know, First Nations with still in this day and age without drinking water right? Um, homelessness, foreclosure, um, joblessness. I mean, this is all tax. This, this is money seized from labor, right? Stolen theft of labor um, through income tax and taken from the people, um, you know, for this uh, military machine. It's sickening, sickening. Yeah. Uh, Johan? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And to, to tack on to that, I mean, 33 billion, that means, I mean, that this is a key, it's a very important conflict for, for, from the perspective of the United States. I, I kind of feel that this can't be lost. It's, it's so heavily prioritized. And to, to relate to this, uh, this new disinformation governance board issue, uh, let me just read their statement, their own description. 
So, so the Department of Homeland Security is standing up a new disinformation governance board to coordinate countering misinformation related to homeland security, focused specifically on irregular migration and Russia. So, and this woman, Nina Yankovic, will head the board as executive director, and she has been working in, in the Ukraine for the last five years, it seems. So any any ideas on this this new development? Um, no, it's it, I mean, 84 billion is is a breathtaking figure over yeah. over eight years. Um, again, given just to underscore the the economic instability and, and precarity in the United States, um, I was reading a whole, you know, raft of figures that to a family with two working parents um, at anything like minimum wage um, will never ever have the possibility to buy a house mm. that, that this is simply now out of the question um, but the homeless situation is is uh, is is hard to imagine hard to articulate I run out of adjectives because in any American city it's it's um it's it's pretty it's pretty mind-numbing to to drive through uh uh areas and 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 see the level of uh of homelessness and families not just you know indigent males or something and yet um the government sees uh fit to give 84 billion to a neo-nazi uh party mm -hmm. in ukraine uh hiroyuki does anybody know the details of the uh, the, the so-called aid, like uh, you know the conditions, you know how it's going to be given? I mean, it, it is it given or it's loans, right? I, how does that work? I mean, it, we know that the uh, Ukrainian government is not spending money for the people. I mean, we know that the uh, the neoliberal restructuring guided by the uh, Western hegemony has been decimating uh, lives of Ukrainian, Ukra Ukrainian people, right? So, um, I mean, what, what does that mean? Uh, you know, in short term, I mean, it, you know, it's for the war effort, but, you know, in the long term, how, how you know? I don't know. I don't know the, the particulars, but I know that that a lot of the military equipment is part of a lease. It's leased to Ukraine, but it's a it's a kind of bureaucratic uh, three card Monty because the the lease never comes due or anything. And, and equipment is, you know, never returned because it's usually destroyed. Uh, and and but, you know, it 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 bears mentioning that th that that military equipment started being sent to Ukraine in 2014 right away and so they they have a lot of weapons there um they're a heavily armed military now because it's not just guns and ammo it's it's um uh artillery and and guided missiles and and you know heavy tanks Bradley armored vehicles stuff like that I mean by the thousands and uh, I forget which country just delivered a very high tech tank, a new really lethal tank to Ukraine in, you know, in the hundreds of them. And uh, so, so it, it's, 
the U.S. is is very happy to have. They want the war to continue. That's that's clear. Uh, there's no voice. I just want to throw in too, John. Yeah. The yeah, World please. Bank and the I, the World Bank and IMF have um mm. put in thirteen another thirteen point six billion in loans and repayable finance. So, um, that's on top of the eighty four billion and the three point three point five. Um, recently announced billion, and then we have the private sector, including IKEA, um, yeah. funding yeah. um, huge amounts of money, right? And that's no surprise with IKEA's founder, with his, you know, his yeah. ties to as, as a Nazi. Anyway, the propaganda is really, Google. yeah. You Go know, ahead. I, I no, I just saw a thing the other day that just popped into my head of uh, Zelensky decides to stay in his palace or some fucking thing but uh even though russian hitmen had parachuted into the main square or something i mean it was like a bad hollywood script and that's how people experience this i'm more and more convinced that that the only way to to engage uh at least americans is is to construct a, a bad hollywood script they can follow um johan yeah, on, on the propaganda issue, I just see here on our major evening newspaper published uh, for maximum exposure, like 10 minutes to 1 a.m. today, that Angelina Jolie had to escape to a uh, air raid shelter or something during her, her visit in, in Lviv. <laughs> but also, I was wondering, maybe, Hiroyuki, if you were, were thinking about how this aid would be like the money would generally be be used and which corporations and and ngos would would profit from from this venture i mean that that's something i would like corey perhaps to say something about the the entire ngo racket and how these organizations operate in detail and also i i was wondering if you have any any information on how the imf have operated in in ukraine previously like to, to destabilize the entire situation 10 years back and so well i just want the only thing i know is that in the coup of 2014 uh one of the reasons the u.s had you know undertook with such urgency this this coup getting rid of yankovic was because he had rejected the imf yeah. And um, that was why he had to go, much as in Bolivia, a coup followed the rejection of the IMF. In Yemen, you know, an assault followed the rejection of the IMF. Um, <clears throat> you're not allowed to do that. Um, Varun, you had wanted to, you had your hand up. So Yeah, I was just going to add that I think um, it's quite important to look at the structural adjustment programs that are usually implemented by, like Corey was saying, by the IMF and the WTO after the loans have been given, because that usually lasts about 10 to 15 years to 25 years. And I've seen that occur in India, and it's usually regional. So you're forced into some kind of trade policy, which is not very suitable for the upkeep and the well being of the population of the country in general. Right. So those are things. Right. Well, and also, <clears throat> I mean, the US is very happy to see Ukraine burnt to the ground because there's enormous money to be made in rebuilding Ukraine. And that, <clears throat> that's where Bechtel and the, you know, Halliburton and, and the Carlisle group and so forth, that's where they make their money. It's where they made their money in Iraq and so forth. Um, Johan? Yeah, but, but yeah, absolutely. But 
the intensity and the enormous investments here seem to me to indicate that I mean, we need the, the West needs to to uh, to break Russia, uh, or or I mean, it's it's finished. I think there's a, a kind of desperation here. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's the, I mean, that's the open stated purpose. Um, yeah. The Rand Corporation published that paper a while back, overextending and unbalancing Russia, um, that Victoria Newland's husband was one of the authors of. Uh, and and the goal was at the end they said that we hope to 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 weaken uh, the Russian state and eventually uh, mm. implement regime change. Uh, so, the, yeah, I mean it's out in the open. Uh, Corey, oh, just Johan had mentioned the nonprofit industrial complex, the NGOs, mm. and I was thinking, oh, I wonder what the Gates Foundation has um, given. And then mm. I realized I saw within the past month of April that um, Global Citizen had a thing called, what was it called, Stand Up or something, Stand Up Campaign, which they raised an additional $11 billion. And that was with um, Trudeau, um, what's her name, um, the head of the EU. And- um, Mandelian? Yeah, the, the, you know, the comedian, um, <laughs> Um, so anyway, anyway, it had, you know, all the heads of states and then um, all the celebrities and bands. And, you know, I, I remember that Global Citizen was actually started by Gates and the World Bank, like that, that NGO is financed largely um, by Gates and World Bank from inception. And so anyway, that's that. Um, a big part, I'm sorry. Big I'm, part of it's just a big part of indoctrinating and targeting the youth. That's all right. I, I right. Just... Absolutely. But but that's a yeah. And that's a topic. Um, uh, Varun. Yeah, I was just going to add uh, to the Russia angle that uh, Russia. I mean, this news was in Newsweek uh, a couple of days ago that Russia and Belarus are going to form the new USSR and they're inviting ex-Soviet nations to join. So in that sense, like in, so it's like it's almost like they're restarting the Cold War, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I think I think a Cold War is is much desired right now. The U.S. certainly wants it, and you you know, Hollywood is a terrific barometer for uh, gauging the priorities of American foreign policy, and and the push. The nostalgia uh, for the Cold War has has been presented um, over and over for the last ten years. I mean, it's now cool. The Cold War was cool, and and the styles were cool, and everybody misses it. Uh, but this is this is that thing where you get the feeling that the public leaps at these narratives because it provides purpose and meaning. Yeah, and I think. It's because people's lives are so, uh, you know, desolate and barren, and and uh, that that suddenly, you know, there's a cold war to fight. And there's a COVID. You can wear a mask, and you can stigmatize those who don't wear masks. And it's like mini crystal knocks over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again, um, as as Crispin Miller pointed out. It's um, it's remarkable. Um, Johan. Yeah, in relation to that, I <clears throat> and Corey, you spoke about the, the IMF and the WTO. 
And in relation to that, I think it's a bit ironic that these, uh, what I would call volunteer propagandists in social media now argue that, oh, in comparison to the Warsaw Pact and, and the alliances with Russia, NATO allows countries to freely choose whether to join them or not. And, and these kinds of, that, that's idiocy. But I mean, you, you talked about, John, this, this radical unwillingness to question the mainstream narrative before we started, I think. And I, I was wondering, I mean, I, I think that relates to the, to the radical loss of... Uh, I think we lost... Meaning and his, of our culture. Yeah. You lost me, okay. So uh, anyway, uh, I, I don't think it's just fear that brings people to the unwillingness to question the mainstream narratives. I would, uh, I would say it has something to do with this loss of meaning you speak of. That's, that's very important, I think. Well, in the sense that it, I think the meaning is given to life by the establishment. There is no other meaning mm. in that sense. Right. Like it, right. The only meaning that exists is what is on the news that Elon Musk is now going to be like the savior of free speech by authenticating <laughs> all the human beings. That is basically what it is, right? Like, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, <clears throat> it's, it's um, there's so, there's a lot of funny news stories um, uh, this last week or 10 days since we last had a podcast. Um, one of which is all the fires at, uh, food processing plants mm. and i only mention this because i have no idea 19 19 major fires um at, in the uk and us uh which is you know i mean it's not a coincidence obviously something's going on um the culling of five million chickens because of avian flu and this is the year after Gates buys up all the farmland in the U.S. So I don't know how to connect those dots or even if they're connectable. Um, but but it's curious and it's it's strange. And it's part of this. It's part of this that the public lets these kind of news stories pass without comment. They are told what you know, the propaganda instructs the public what to care about. That's part of the, the giving of meaning, I guess. Um, and, and those kind of stories are apparently, nobody seems to want to question why there are 19 big food processing plants have burnt to the ground in a month. Um, it's, it's very strange. Anyway, um, so... Uh, uh, just as I will provide in the links this Mark Crispin Miller article, and he in turn provides links within that article um, on on uh, on COVID follow up studies and um, the the injury toll presumably from vaccines. So of course now there are a lot of papers saying that that it's not that it's hypertension, depression, uh, hot weather, I, you know, any number of things that they find excuses for. Um, and I, you know, and, and I'm always quick to, to add, I have no idea on one level because I'm not a doctor, but, uh, but it's, a, it's a worthy article um, to read. Um, any other topics before I go back to Ukraine? Because... Um, <clears throat> I have a topic on energy. Yes. Um, I, okay, so cobalt has started mining in Greenland. Cobalt, as we, I think we spoke about it, is um, 
had up by Bezos, Gates, um, Bloomberg, all the same billionaires that are involved in breakthrough energy emission innovation, which is um, the acceleration and expansion of nuclear energy, which is happening right now while everyone's um, still petrified and um, completely absorbed by COVID, uh, at least in Canada. Um, anyway, I was looking at article in March 2022, cobalt went up to $82,000 per ton, up from 29000 in July 2020. So it's supposed to um, triple by the end of the decade. And so that's just, um, yeah, it's just talking about that uh, the smartphone uses a few cents of cobalt, whereas an EV battery uses several thousand dollars worth. Um, a global energy transition will cost about 10 trillion in cobalt alone, right? Because the cost of that, which um, I wrote about a long time ago in the in the Greta Thunberg series, um, 100 trillion for the whole transition. So actually these, we don't even have enough to do any of this. A lot of it, you know, like um, John has said from the inception is a lot of illusion, um, storytelling, fairy tales, right? To make people feel confident in the future going forward. Whereas I think mm -hmm. just like the food thing you talked about, I think a lot of the majority of the world will be eating synthetic engineered food and the wealthy will be eating the organic, um, you know, real food, like the good food. Um, so, well, there's, and, yeah, I, I think there's a push for that certainly. And, and you see it in advertising a lot. Um, but that, that links to, there's a whole kind of agenda being laid out because I saw a series of articles. They all came out at once, CNN, Forbes, a lot of odd place, Wall Street Journal, um, about uh, that breastfeeding um, might not be natural and that, and that it's a, a, the people who insist on breastfeeding can be seen as equivalent to anti-vaxxers. Are they conspiracy theorists? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of this comes out of a group of medical ethicists at University of Pennsylvania, but I'm not sure about that. Um, but it's cuckoo and it's this anti-humanism thing. And it links to, you know, a much wider topic of artificial intelligence, transhumanism, et cetera, et cetera, that, that Johan and I have talked a lot about. Um, and we'll be giving a presentation. Can I add one more thing, John? Yeah. yeah. I, I want to add something for everyone to comment on, and then I'm going to shut up for a bit. Okay, so my one of my kids has um, a brand new Tesla. Okay. Um, he told me last month or within the last couple of months, he looked at his hydro bill and it went um, usually an average for one person um, around, you know, 40, 50 bucks a month. It's over $300 from the car. Wow. Um, people don't think about this and realize that, that in a lot of places will be, and, you know, Elon Musk has said this, we'll need massive, massive expansion of nuclear um, to power just cars alone, right? The EV cars. So this will be coming from coal, nuclear, um, whatever the source is, right? Biomass. And so imagine that, and then imagine tying into that, you know, a heat wave, like what's happening in India right now, where they talk about that, the solution, air conditioning. Imagine tying all these things into the grid, um, plus the hyperscale data centers and, and the future is rolling blackouts. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. 
Yeah. I, right. I mean, I mean, this is where this is where we're headed. Yeah. Um, I I will comment on that in a second, but Johan, I see you wanted yeah, to... just a comment on that as well, and and what you said in your previous statement, Corey. I I think you're entirely correct that we're gonna have rolling blackouts and and, and worse things. Uh, I mean, because I mean during COVID now and, and the lockdowns, we we had the first real uh, um, drawdown in crude oil consumption since like. The, the 70s i think we, we went down to, to back to the levels of of the oil consumed per capita to like 85 or something it was it was extreme and what we're seeing now is that world crude oil production has it has basically stopped growing even though we're nominally starting to open up and, and get industry back together again and it seems that crude oil supply is it has, has reached physical limits it, it's it's a tight supply and it seems it doesn't seem to be possible to expand it which i mean many of us have, have argued would be the case for a couple of years now and and the, the recent data from the eia that came out like a, a couple of weeks ago suggests that we're not going to be able to get crude production back to the levels of even 2018 in the near term and that, I say, implies that the, the situation with Russia is all the more important because Russia is the second most important crude oil producer and it has the, the, the least, the most pristine, uh, unexploited sources of, of this, this resource. Uh, and also just if the world loses Russian supply through, through uh, sanctions or whatever, th that's going to mean a disaster for especially the third world, but it's going to push prices up to the level that we're going to have empty shelves in the West all over the place. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that's going to happen. Varun? Yeah, I was, <clears throat> I think what Corey and Johan both have said, uh, I'll just carry that forward a little bit in the sense that what happened with oil over the 80s and 90s in the Middle East is now starting to happen with the rare earth minerals that are needed for lithium ion batteries yeah. that Tesla is using and wants to put into every household, essentially. And now that the question that I have for this kind of renewable and quote unquote sustainable tech that they want to do is that they're going to have to mine more of the earth around the planet to fulfill those needs. And the, the, the statistics are absolutely staggering the kind yeah. of mining that needs to take place to fulfill that and to put everybody on onto the grid so to speak is going to is going to basically destroy the planet slowly over the next 10 years and yeah i i've said this too and and um and i've read these these um articles projecting forward with you know electric car use and so i mean electric cars are are that's going to hit a wall soon um uh, for a variety of reasons, but but most importantly, because the batteries are going, there's simply not going to be enough rare earth minerals um, uh, in the near term or long term, and and uh, it, it's not to mention that most of the deposits are in China anyway. But um, it's uh, it's already there's already a kind of strange backlash to it that that uh in norway which promoted electric cars hugely and still does but uh but but sales are are dropping and and people are questioning whether they actually 
um, whether this is actually a good idea and do they work well enough in cold weather and so forth and so on. Um, and they don't, but, but never mind that. Um, the, the, the bigger question, extrapolating out from this rolling blackouts question, and, and I always harp on this, is that, that what is imagined in the fourth industrial revolution, what is imagined in this great reset and you know, all the, the World Economic Forum projections and projects is impossible and, and it's not going to work. And that the, the level of problem that already exists at the current level um, with, with, you know, um, electronic media with with data retrieval and so forth all the big bureaucracies and and uh mostly state-owned and and run are running into enormous problems and and mistakes and inaccuracies and i mean my blog last blog post was about that about the code failures and uh that that we're just scratching the surface of what could be catastrophic failures uh, in, in, um, in all of this kind of cyber bookkeeping and control and surveillance. And, you know, and I've said for years that the surveillance stuff doesn't work and that I don't believe the, the people in charge of it care if it works because they're just as happy to, to treat the whole thing arbitrarily, actually. Um, Hiroyuki? All those um, things are probably uh, designed in the, uh, the the whole scheme. I think. I mean, it, you know, they would uh, um, colonize uh, Middle Eastern countries by aiding um, dictators, uh, the leaderships that are uh, uh, favors Western ways, and that's the first thing they do. And uh, uh, they would. Uh, uh, Put those countries uh, under dead uh, traps, and um, uh, there are many, many ways to control and manipulate the uh, subject populations. But at the end, if they can't control them, they just destroy them. So, <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's like, you know, the, they probably don't care that the, that the whole scheme uh, is meant to uh, mess things up, and. Um, you know, so this this is really uh, uh, we're gonna always have to go back to the fact that the uh, capitalism is uh, it's a big scheme, it's a pyramid scheme, it's a way to um, exploit by saying that we're gonna save you. Um, so you know, it's 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 one way to uh, uh, demonstrate how it's going to be and uh, but of course we we have the situation with the uh, propaganda indoctrination and uh, uh, people cannot see what's really going on and uh, since our memories uh, yeah. our uh, ideology and everything is chopped up we can't put things together so when one generation dies out, next come up with um, total um, ignorance, and um, you can't really follow what's what happened. And if you don't know what happened, you, you just 
follow the same path and um, uh, and it keeps going. And as the cycle goes on, um, it gets worse and worse. It's a uh, it's a it's a it's a bad situation. It's it's um, uh, it's it's catastrophic. It's amazing. It is. Uh, no, it is. It is. Um, I, Varun, and then I yeah, have um, just going on from what Hiroyuki was saying that this kind of uh, historical amnesia, which is deliberate, is actually happening in India right now. The mm. central ministry, the central government, has advised the education ministry to remove all things pertaining to the negative effects of liberalization and globalization in India from wow. the entirety of the education system. They want it removed. So it's actually like now there is a curation of historical fact which is occurring and really nobody is talking about this anywhere at all. Not many people even know that this is happening. So like Hiroyuki is saying is that when the next generation is going to start reading these textbooks, they're not ever going to have a critique about um, structural adjustment programs and how war is directly linked to economics and the divide between the first and the third and the second world and all of that stuff is just going to basically disappear from all the textbooks. You know, it's interesting. I was reading an article um, about public opinion regards Ukraine, Russia. And of course, the West is, is you know, overwhelmingly um, anti-Russian, anti-Putin. Uh, but that uh, the Islamic world, the global South, South America even, um, is, is overwhelmingly pro-Russia. But you don't hear about this in, in Western media at all. Uh, the, 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 the disappearing of, of dissenting voices and, and the disappearing of the global South, that, that this is, you know, these are, you know, Africa, Southeast Asia. These are places that, that are made kind of invisible. They, they, they've, they've eliminated from people's minds the awareness that that there is um, uh, that these are countries filled with human beings. They're just kind of abstract um, chess pieces in this in this great game, and and this is you know of course particularly true of the United States where where amnesia has been uh, entrenched in in the collective consciousness of people for a while. I mean people can't remember what they you know what the u.s was doing in vietnam yeah. for any version of it you know um and and so this rewriting of history is kind of like they rewrite history but they erase most of it in the rewriting and and uh certainly the the idea that there are human beings in the global south that the majority of the planet lives on like a dollar a day or something this massive poverty and and underdevelopment in in you know former colonies and this is this is um this is not part of people's people's daily life at all of their consciousness at all it's it's back to like if you look at ukraine mm. you know it's a cartoon uh, Zelensky is part of this, you know, this um, Tom Clancy novel that that um, where there are Russian hitmen parachuting in. I mean, how ridiculous! Like, do, come on, you know. I mean, even a four-year-old should know that's probably very unlikely. 
but but you know you look at the the massacre at at Bucha, if that's how it's pronounced, which was a front page story when it was being blamed on Russia. Then when independent uh, journalists and, and observers went in and determined that it was actually Ukraine that committed the crimes, uh, it dropped off the front page. It dropped off everywhere. It's yeah. a, now no longer a story and nothing is being written about it. And, you know, it's not part of this news stream. It's not part of your Twitter stream or, you know, whatever social media account you are addicted to. Um, and the censorship of individuals keeps increasing as well. I mean, I'm amazed I haven't been um, censored more than I have been actually, although it's increasingly difficult to, to find like my blog or something if you just Google my name. But um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a, that machine is very effective uh, because the people yeah. have been conditioned to, to be responsive to this, I think. Um, Corey. Um, yeah, there's also another thing happening. Um, I mean, for well over a decade, maybe decades, people, academic, academia um, has been writing about how, you know, the Arctic is basically the object of um, geopolitical race, right, for um, all their natural resources. And that's always been there and that's happening now in the past week I heard someone from someone from Canada stating how they will um, defend the Arctic you know by any means necessary and mm. you see um, Eves Engler has a new article in April on Canada's military buildup in the Arctic threatens indigenous peoples climate biodiversity um, so you know you have again the militarization of the Arctic happening it's all like this just all tied back into energy right, and um, right. geopolitics, yeah, and, you know, that's been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, um, the, the, the pro-military, I mean, that's one, certainly one very strong primary branch of, of propaganda has been the valorizing of, of the military, and uh, it's seen as heroic and, and, uh, it, every, what Hollywood turns out are essentially recruitment films for the military. And they, of course, we all know, vet the scripts and make sure nothing critical is ever said of, of you know, American foreign policy or anything. Um, it's It's been strange. I mean, you know, we, we noticed during the beginning of COVID when we started doing these podcasts um, that uh, uh, dissent was was being squashed, and and there was this kind of weird um, uh, uh, lynch mob mentality uh, existing on social media and stuff. And then we talked a lot about that so many of the left um, embraced the mainstream narrative about COVID that they didn't question any of, of the findings, which now are increasingly being exposed as fraudulent and so forth. And the again, the links in, in Crispin Miller's piece are very good for this, but but there are other sources too that are finally saying, look, this was, this was never an emergency. The, the virus was never an emergency, a global emergency. That was fraudulent. Um, but a lot of the left bought it. And I'm seeing that even more now. And this is troubling, actually, uh, with left parties in Europe, certainly in Norway and Sweden, 
former anti-NATO, anti-imperialist parties, the very small but growing red party in Norway, which I signed up to and voted for last time, the part that I can vote for here, um, because they were they were against NATO and they were against Norway. Now, now they are wildly pro-NATO. Yeah. And that um, and their policy toward COVID sounds like it was written by the World Health Organization. Um, and they were pro masking and they were attacking, um, you know, Paul Steigen, who was just attacked mercilessly in, in Norway. Um, and, you know, he he really needs to probably have handled it better. But but he has written very, very important stories over the last two years. But he's being attacked. But so this is the most left party in Norway is now not even remotely a left party and um it's so there is no left party uh johan yeah i, uh, I have an, a completely different thing really but but i'm, I'm just waiting for, for somebody to argue that that um, nato is science or nato is like verified by science somehow but i have a, a kind of a contrarian thing in this this uh, this soup of lies we're trying to navigate uh, so so uh, it, it's on the something called the principle of identity. Uh, this is this is both kind of abstract, but it's also common sense stuff. And I, I've been I've been doing some work on the on the warrant of common sense stuff during the last few years, and I kind of made this little philosophical discovery just today. I mean, lots of people have probably said very similar things to this before, but at least you know I made the discovery my own. And it's it's kind of it's kind of simple, you know. The the things in your perception they're definite, and they're identical to themselves. This is just a basic fact of, of your perception. And what we call in philosophy the principle of identity that that's the generalization of this fact, uh, which is foundational to logic. This principle, and the principle states that everything must necessarily be identical to itself. I mean, it's it's common sense, but and you can arrive at this principle from. A, very, a, a couple of different uh, avenues, but but also uh, the thing is, uh, I found you can affirm this principle with uh, with reference to this basic fact of perception, because to deny the principle uh, of identity in face of, of the fact of uh, the coherence of perception, you need a counter principle stating that some things are not self identical while other things are. And so the gist of the argument I kind of stumbled upon <clears throat> is that in that case, that is, if you want to deny the principle of identity in the face of the fact of basic experience, you need two definite categories. So you need the set of non-self-identical things and you need the set of, you know, normal things. But the problem that then arises is that the members of both of these sets need to unambiguously belong to their respective categories. So, so the members need to be self-identical. So the counter principle denying the principle of identity needs to affirm it. Uh, so, so in other words, there would be no coherent basic experience if this principle of identity was not true since the denial amounts to an affirmation of the very principle. And, and why this is important, that, that's because you have immediate access to absolute truth and the most important fundamental principle of logic upon, every, upon which you know, every inference has to rest. And I mean, as, as somebody said, you know, freedom is to say two plus two equals four. And I was wondering, 
uh, it would be nice to, to like ch chat with you guys about this issue of how we go about when we think critically, how we we anchor our arguments and our inferences and, and what the basic uh, the basic foundations of our critical thinking is. And it would be nice to hear something about that from you. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, and but first, Varun, do you want to? Yeah, that's a really excellent analysis, Johan. I just want to add in the sense that the othering um, has, I mean, as, a, as an ex-colony, that's been something that is very interesting to understand and un untangle in the sense that the not us mm. and the wanting to be them is essentially the aspirational cycle that is very central to the neoliberal policy. Mm. And in that sense that you will never achieve the the style and of living or the standard of living of the first world unless you move there mm. is something mm. which is deeply ingrained at least in in the context of india and of course a few western europe uh, western african countries that i've been to is the aspiration then becomes to be like empire which mm. is that that i would have to move into empire i am right now outside of it so my aspiration of fulfilling the westernized industrialized society lifestyle can only be secondhand experience which is given to me through mm. conglomerates and thereby while remaining the other like Corey was saying before is or john i think was saying is that there is the third world quote unquote is always the other place yeah. from where the minerals right. come from and where all the toxic garbage goes to which is full of human labor but it will, it, it never, there is such a thick veil between these two cognitive maps and emotionalities that it's impossible for them to be mm. united in a place where it is cohesive and mm. caretaking for the planet. And that's, I think, a very good trick of empire to keep these two worlds separate deliberately, to continuously manufacture the arguments that there is this othering which is continuously perpetuated within society so that humans cannot look at other humans as diverse human beings and right. only yeah. as resource and aspiration. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there, I have two thoughts here. Um, one is that just shortly, you know, the, the, the main thrust of Nazi propaganda and, and, what's his name's book, I can't think of his name, who wrote this great book on Nazi propaganda, was the dehumanizing of, of the enemy, of the other. It wasn't the othering mechanism went further and, and you had to dehumanize. And this was the logic, of course, of colonialism as well. And the slave trade, you know, and the slave trade lasted, I always hasten to add, 350 years. Um, but uh, but there was another question buried in, in Johan's comments about what are the mechanisms by which we uh, determine our critical analysis, you know, if, if we, you know, and, be, and actually my, my wife was talking about this the other day and asked me. <clears throat> and, and it's a very good question because partly because we live in this in this you know electronic age 
electronic media age, which fragments knowledge and um, disassociates thinking from from um, the real world and, and yeah. you're constantly dealing in uh, a kind of facsimile world, um, a screen world or worse. And, and, and I said, well, I think it's very difficult. And part of it is I have experience making certain kind of judgments. I do have a certain instinct. That's partly it based on experience, but it's also that history, you have to look at the historical precedence of anything that happens uh, as you make a judgment. And, and in a, you know, the, the vulgar expression of that is to say that you have to look at, there's a track record involved in, in certain state policies. There are certain mechanisms that are repeated. The capitalism manufactures these, you know, a, a, these certain patterns of exploitation again and again and again, and we've seen it for 150 years. Uh, and, and that that buildup of historical knowledge must carry some weight in how you evaluate, you know, news stories or people's opinions or advertising or anything else. Uh, but I think that it's very hard today because because of electronic media, and I think of Jonathan Crary's book Twenty Four Seven in this too, um, that 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 you have this coercive uh, system of uh, like coercive forms of distraction that bombard the public constantly all the time and that we're all we're all affected by this and this came up today um in the in the press tv discussion <clears throat> that propaganda normalizes these certain things and it there's it's a structural normalization for one thing um but it's also just grammar and vocabulary and 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 you hear the same sort of Russia invaded Ukraine, Russia invaded Ukraine, Russia invaded Ukraine, Russia invaded. And there are certain implications and associations that are learned already with that already existent invasion is bad. That's, you know, and the implication is wanton, unmotivated aggression. It's, it's, that's what Russia does. And we all have a whole tsunami of anti-Russian stuff to draw upon to, to, to you know reinforce that that association and so people go right but that's what russians do and so forth um and and i saw the other day i think cj hopkins posted this but i might be wrong about that uh german uh, uh politician stroke uh psychologist i think and i could be wrong about that too but anyway this woman was on german television talking about how russians are different than Europeans, that they're harder and they're less feeling and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it was pure like, like colonial, you know, um, eugenics or something. It was astonishing. And she said it with a very cheerful, smiley face too. Um, and, and I thought, yeah, but this is, she is a product of all of this conditioning, but, but translated through a kind of, this airsats expertise that she has acquired in some bad university somewhere, so that her vocabulary, you know, sounds legitimate. Um, Johan, 
Uh, yeah, it, it sounds really interesting. This this um on how propaganda is kind of the normalization of, of narratives. I just wanted to respond to to Varun quickly before I had a, another question to you. Yeah, and I mean Varun, I I think I get that othering, you know, in the in, in the basics of what I would say the the Western mechanistic worldview, you know, the Cartesianism and, and the Newtonian paradigm and all of that. There's a kind of there's a kind of othering. There's a kind of of uh, alienation inherent in this reductive uh, outlook on on the natural world as such, which I think, in some sense, is inherently colonial. I I think I would argue that at least, uh, and, and dehumanizes and and like alienates everyone from nature and so on. But but uh, anyway, I'm I'm currently John reading. Um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, autobiography, the, I think it's called Total Recall. <laughs> yeah. I, re I remember I, I, you said you didn't really like him after you had met him, and, and I, I think I get why you don't like him. But it's an interesting book because you get this kind of inside view on how propaganda gets naturally cultivated within the Hollywood environment and how, how you have this huge sensitivity to the political winds and, and the desires of major institutions among the people who make the decisions and how this relates to the normalization of narratives. I mean, do you have any, any reflections on this? Because you're an insider of this context too. You, you might have lots of, of yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's it is interesting um, the the way in which Hollywood worked um, was uh, that that and and I just before I I'll just as a sidebar note because somebody told me the other day a friend of mine who was a screenwriter uh, and is teaching now at um, uh, American Film Institute I believe but anyway it doesn't matter. And that they are no longer the instructors uh, to use the title Chinatown when referring to Polanski's film because it's seen as as insensitive. Yeah, so ponder that a moment, Grasshopper. Um, so on the one hand, you have, since I really left Hollywood, the, the steep, ascension of kind of identity politics and wokeness and and all of this stuff in which literally everything gives offense you know um which is a distraction from the real crimes and offenses that carry on unabated you know beneath the radar but in hollywood the the um the idea really was to resolve narratives in such a way that and this is the prior to people streaming things on their computer um, that would allow an audience leaving the theater to want to shop in the mall they were in um, mm. in other words king lear you don't leave <laughs> you know if there's a film version of king lear you watch peter Brooks or you know Orson Welles King Lear or something you, you leave the theater not wanting to shop you know um, and even into the 60s and 70s there were films being made even something like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or um, I can't think of any you know was a tragic film ultimately um, and and one that required um, 
you to have an interior life and dialogue with yourself and interrogate yourself and your own values and feelings and so forth. That increasingly was anathema. I mean, that's to be avoided. You want very specifically to treat stories as if they were marketing campaigns, advertising campaigns. Um, because the bottom line was always who the advertisers would support and pay for. If you're, if you're talking about television, I was staffed on um, several different shows and, um, and I got those notes all the time, of course, you know, um, don't be, don't be such a downer stepling. Um, and, but in feature films, it, it became the same thing. And, and um, as somebody said, by the 80s, Hollywood was producing amusement park rides. They weren't producing, you know, films, art films anymore or, or, or art in any sense. And that was clearly not, that was clearly not the point. That was the, not the intended point. The intended point was to, um, to create a rooting interest, somebody to root for the U.S. military mm. and to uh, resolve it in such a way that people felt at least short-term optimism as they left to go back to their dreary daily lives, you know. Nice. Um, but but this has become very kind of confused because there is a there is a a strange uh, because the public can't follow complex narrative at all anymore, um, and we've spoken about that 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 what you have and, and you have a generation that has grown up anticipating interruption to their narratives mm -hmm. um, you almost the the writers are almost instructed to write fragments and and actually unfinished um, and I see this with TV series now uh, in season one a show will just end there's no conclusion it just ends because the hope is there will be a season two and often there is sometimes there is not and so the show was never you know there was never any um resolution to to anything and i always think about adorno's writing on this because mm. i guess interestingly he talked about um non-identity a lot in in um mm. the principle of non-identity in his aesthetic writings um but but you know, he he was was people should simply read aesthetic theory as difficult as it is, or at least minimum moralia, um, because those are the books, minimum moralia, at least, and, and dialectic of enlightenment. He wrote in the United States and they were heavily shaped by his experiences in exile in the U.S. And he had very, very cogent observations, I think, about American culture and and the appeal of fascism for Americans, not surprisingly. Yeah. Corey? Yeah, I think it would be um, sort of wise to understand the global media um, network more as advertisement, you know, more of a social engineering um, machine, mm -hmm. right? Indoctrination more than, you know, quote unquote news. So much of it is written yeah. by think tanks. So much of it is written by foundations, by NGOs, by corporations, and presented as news, right? It's not even written by journalists or anything. Um, so, and, and, you know, the whole thing about being able to um, deconstruct and, you know, be critical of what you read, like so much of it, the problem with the left, um, if you're not coming at it 
from like an anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, um, you know, perspective, I, I think you're lost, you know, and, and I have a, a quote here. The ruling class exists. It's not a conspiracy theory. They operate as a class too. They share the same values, the same sensibility. And in Europe and North America, they are white. They act in accordance with their interests, which are very, which are very largely identical. The failure to understand this is the single greatest problem and defect in left discourse mm. today. Um, wow, I, what, sure what smart person? That. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I think that's true um, to not come at this stuff from class analysis. For instance, you know, when you're told, um, when you have the Bush family and the um, Obama family and that promoting COVID and masks, you have to step back and wonder why. Yeah. You know, when you have that, when you have the same people cheering on Ukraine, um, you know, that are actual war criminals, it, it's probably best to step back and look at it, right? right. Um, you know, again, it, we see the left aligning with the very um, forces we should be opposing. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's a really crazy thing to witness, to bear witness to. Um, yeah, I, I think that, um, and the othering and the othering, as Rune said, I mean, that's such a good point. Well, if you don't look at it from the perspective of class, um, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 the, it's very hard to demystify uh, what Rune called these veils of, you know, obfuscation and say it, it, the, a class analysis is the beginning of of dissecting whatever particular thing one is dissecting and without that and we all know there's a number of kind of um, social critics who are not marxist and who don't grasp this and they always end up for whatever good research they do they always end up with faulty very reactionary conclusions um and the extreme other example of course is a kind of um very extreme a certain brand of communist commentator who um, who who simply sees things in in I guess what we used to call vulgar Marxist terms, uh, but but it, there's no nuance to that thinking either, and and it becomes problematic and it becomes a kind of policing on that that particular branch of the left. I always feel there is a there is a a lurking authoritarianism to, to these people and a, and a, and a, and a, a, a policing of thought. And, uh, and so they spend an enormous amount of time discrediting other leftists, uh, more time than they spend on anything else, actually. Uh, Varun? I just wanted to add also, I mean, going along with this, I think we've spoken about the education system before, but it's also, uh, especially in, in, in regard to critical analysis, like Johan was saying before, uh, also, was that, that only that you can go to the educational institute, will you have a decent life, which is already predetermined, but in the educate within, within that kind of a cognitive structure, you, nobody's ever given the right kind of analytical tools of how to be life and how to live within, um, let's say, a caring society. We're only given tools to live within a very highly toxic competitive society. 
Mm. And so there is no other way for people to behave or think. We, we're never taught how to think. We're only given what we should yeah. be thinking about. Yeah. Right? So, so those are, that's a very deep structural problem, I think, in general on how the world or the modern industrialized world works is that if you had to reinvent your relationship with the other, like the big other, which is the rest of the planet with all the other human beings, how would you actually start to approach that? Mm. And then we begin to see how normalized violence, murder, genocide, destruction of the planet actually has been made. Because we are, we are saying that this is normal. This is the normal life, right? That's what the establishment has taught us from when we were in our most impressionable times, essentially. Yeah, and, and so I don't think it's an accident because I think that's very smart. And, and it's not an accident then that the entire COVID project, the state response and, and the, the, the uh, propaganda that went along with it was to posit other people as a threat. Um, that you were a vector of disease and the other was a vector of disease more importantly. Um, and, and, but this has been, this has been a tendency in, in, uh, in mass culture for, for 40 years uh, it began with the Pogo comic strip, right? We have seen the enemy and it is us. I think that's how it went. Um, that was the beginning of the overpopulation um, propaganda that they kind of rose and fell apart uh, was we are the enemy. There's too many of us. And of course, the unspoken part was there's too many of them. There's too many of the other mm -hmm. because nobody ever was volunteering to jump off a cliff. Um, it was always people in Africa or these invisible populations that exist in the abstract. Um, and so, you know, uh, uh, the, the overpopulation uh, push, of course, crumbled because now there's, you know, demographic collapse globally, but it was replaced with this new form of climate hysteria that, that, you know, yeah, you, you yourself are not the enemy, but your carbon footprint is, you know, and that you are still somehow guilty. It's like a weird original sin or something. Um, Varun? Uh, just a quick comment about the overpopulation problem that has been so vastly discussed all over the world. I, there's a simple question that I always ask people is that when you drive to another city, which is let's say eight hours away, or if you take a flight, which is going to be like five or seven hours, how much of empty land do you actually see Absolutely. from outside your car? It's yeah. basically just the planet is empty. The cities yes. are overpopulated and the cities are overconsuming, right? Like that's the problem is that yes. the more people pile into the cities, the more trash you're going to create, the more minerals you're going to mine. And so it becomes about the implanted desire to have these objects that are full in the malls that are basically carrying on this project of yeah. kind of guiding people's behavior. Right? No, it's extraordinary. I mean, of course, everybody knows I harp on one of my one of my kind of themes is always that the world is far vaster 
then people realize it's a much bigger planet than anybody realizes. But you're absolutely right. It's an empty planet. You can go to Google Maps, you know, the, and just like go north or east of where I am. You're just going to see green forest for hundreds and hundreds of miles. There's nobody there. Cross um, Kazakhstan, you know, big chunks of Russia, China, the deserts in Africa. I mean, it's an empty, empty planet. Um, there are very few places outside of these disgusting, you know, huge urban centers, Lagos and Sao Paulo, and, you know, these very congested 10 cities or so that are hugely overcrowded. Um, the planet is largely empty. Yes, there's a lot of big cities, but most of them don't resemble, um, you know, uh, what what I think people imagine in in their their um, their personal map of of uh, of the world and and their moral map, or such as it may be. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, the the but it's interesting that the overpopulation. Um, idea transferred so seamlessly to climate um, and and that the same mechanisms of blame and and um, stigmatizing took place um, automatically uh, because that's the central that's the central theme and goal of propaganda is to you know is to manufacture enemies uh, and 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 I think to instill guilt in those who are not enemies. Um, okay, uh, Varun, anything else? Yeah, I just wanted to add quickly. Is It's like Johan was saying before about perception, right? Is that even if people do look out the window of their car or the aircraft, they still don't have the cognitive capacity to understand what they're looking at. And they will go back to the city and still start to think that the world is overpopulated. And that's really very highly interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Varu um, uh, and <laughs> Johan. Yeah, and, and that I kind of thought about that. It relates to both both, both to what you and, and John said, because I, I would argue that this uh, this basic myopic reductionism at the heart of, of uh, the entire modern Western mindset, it kind kind of brings us away from these general holistic principles, which which uh, classical logic rests upon. Because now there's only these discrete, separate things, and not really the overarching principles, uh, which we need to use to to make uh, conclusions about the world around us. But of course, reductionism, as such, is a definite truth claim and presupposes these principles itself. But but you know the the general problem is there. There's a kind of structure in our thought that renders us less capable of coming to truth. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put in the links, there's a really terrific article apropos of this by, by Franco Moretti on um, the World Bank, the language of the World Bank. Uh, it was a new left review. And it's very, very, I've quoted it so many times on the blog because it's, it's really perceptive. And it's indicative of these mechanisms at work that shape language and vocabulary, and that in turn shapes people's emotions and thought. Um, uh, the fact that people know in the West anyway, far fewer words, their vocabulary has shrunk 20% from 100 years ago. 
um, this is this is part of how that happens. I think the the Moretti piece is very good. Um, and then we'll wrap up. Hiroyuki. I think uh, uh, listening to uh, you guys talk about the whole thing, and it, I, I just um, it really uh, strikes me that the uh, the whole thing, the, the starting point, is the fact that the social relations are given by the capitalists for their interests. So when we talk mm. about overpopulation, when we talk about war, we talk about uh, propaganda, we talk about uh, the nature of the internet and all that. They, they are all, um, it all, all comes down to the fact that they are, uh, we are giving uh, meaning, we're giving social relation, we're giving everything from the uh, establishment which are controlled by the uh, capitalists in um, perpetuating their way of exploitation and subjugation. So it's it's quite simple um, when we talk about things this way, and we did talk about it, and um, uh, it's possible, you know, even though uh, we totally um, don't have um, the uh, uh, the framework that we can conceive as uh, 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 where we can stand as people, um, you know, like. Um, it is possible, I think, and uh, uh, so it, it's it's very important for us to uh, engage in this kind of conversation to go down to the root of the structural problem and the active uh, propagandizing and uh, indoctrinations coming out of the uh, system. Um, I mean, we can we can see them. We can. I mean, we we see them. You know. Um, Absolutely. Um just two things and then final thoughts from everybody. I was just reminded of a, of a quote of Marcuse's from, from the 60s. He said, we have no idea what a non-repressed society mm. would look like. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a profound observation. It really is. Uh, mm. Because uh, it, it reminds me of people, you know, when you, when you mount a criticism and you, you critique exploitation or inequality and you know the capitalism manufactures poverty and all of these things uh people will say well what what's your solution <laughs> well I, I don't have a solution um that's what we're talking about it's like there is no one solution i don't have you know um a, a slug line for you that will provide that answer and and but that's a question you see that's a question born of privilege mm. um it really is and and um you have to ponder the the zen cone aspect of of that one i think because i think it's it's really important um anyway final thoughts i had oh i just wanted to add yeah look when we talk about capitalism here we have mounting homelessness food insecurity, children going to bed hungry in the West every night, more all the time, people living in their cars, feeling hopeless, no optimism for the future at all. We have academic institutions telling mothers breastfeeding is bad. We have, um, you know, uh, 
the World Health Organization and various doctors saying, you know, you might have to wear your mask forever. Don't touch anybody. <laughs> Crowds are bad. And, you know, you could be you could be a super spreader if you're not careful. And on and on. It's like it's like all these other panics, these mini panics that came before, um, uh, you know, about syphilis or cannabis or all of these things that, you know, created little mini panics, the, the manufacture of, of, of threats, um, the criminalizing of weather, you know, it was like, there's killer bees from Mexico, there's a killer storm from, you know, it, the weather became a, a hardened criminal. All of this whole, you know, um, cornucopia of panics has has been refined and distilled and we're seeing the culmination they've practiced the state the system has practiced how to coerce people into certain kinds of thought how to make them stupid how to habituate them to smartphones um, so they stare at a tiny little screen for hours a day with their fingers twitching back and forth, doing meaningless, pointless, masturbatory actions. It's extraordinary, but they've had a lot of practice. They, this, mm. you know, the ruling class has had a lot of practice. Okay, final thoughts, Varun? Um, yeah, I think, um, I think it's, it's more that a realization has to occur at some point that the more people in society can rely on each other rather than institutionalized ways of living, that the, the importance of other beings in your life can, can be regenerated, I think. Because right yeah. now, everything is in, institutionalized. Every single yeah. aspect of everybody's life is institutionalized. And that for me is quite a scary prospect if it lasts much longer. Uh, yeah, Johan? Yeah, I'm gonna send you off with a, with a quote. Maybe you can guess uh, as to who the author is. Communists must always go into the wise and wear force of anything, use their own heads and carefully think over whether or not it corresponds to reality and is really well founded. On no account should they follow blindly and encourage slavishness. That's great. Who is it? It's, it's Mao. Oh, yeah, I, they, I should have guessed it, actually. I think I've heard that quote before. That's great. Um, all right, Hiroyuki or Corey? Um, let's, I just wanted to point out that it's May 1st. Um, inter, yeah, what is that? International Workers' Day, May Day, right? Day. Um, so I just wanted to say um, sort of a short quote from that before I go off to the market to see everyone all masked up still. 80% here, I'll still mask. Okay, so um, the 1906 conference of the Second International called on all social democratic party organizations and trade unions of all countries to demonstrate energetically on the 1st of May for the legal establishment of the eight hour day for the class demands of the proletariat and for universal peace. That's, That's great. It. I just that. That's great, yeah. Hiroyuki? Well, thank you, uh, everyone. I, I really uh, 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 treasure this uh, time with you all, and I, I, I look forward Likewise. to the next one. That's Same all. here. Same yeah, here. it's been fun. So my final quote, apropos of Mayday, because um, I'm glad you reminded us, is, is um, Big Bill Hayward, right? 
the wobbly. The quote is, there's two kinds of people in the world, those who work and those who don't. Thank you, everyone. We'll Thanks, talk, man. Uh, we'll talk soon. Nice one. Thank you. Yep. See you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.